0: Fullback belly. Three tight ends, including Havener. Kuhn is the fullback with the first and goal. Kuhn gets the ball. Pyle trying to get try it to In for the touchdown. What a great second over. Here comes the. Oh no,
1: here comes the. Oh here comes the. Oh, here comes the oh. I said so, I keep big bills up in my heart, don't look dirty like blood, so I ain't got no twist in my head. But- The Fantasy Fullback Dive is thrilled to welcome on, for the first time, Pat Fitzmorris, the lead fantasy expert over at The Football Girl, also has a gem podcast, fits on Fantasy, and I'm just excited to pick his brain. We've been chatting for a few minutes. He's been very patient as we get this all together. It's been just a pleasure already meeting him, so I can't wait to just chat fantasy with him here over some coffee. Thank you so much for joining today, Pat.
0: My man, The Wolf. How are you? It's great to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: Uh, I, I, it's a pleasure. is all mine and I'm, I'm doing fantastic. It's actually my second day of summer vacation. and we were just kind of catching up and it, it's nice to kind of have these months to go full blown into the fantasy game, take a little mental break. Uh, so I, I'm thrilled right now. Everything is great. Not that I don't love teaching, but it is nice to have the, those time off. Uh, you got a good summer plan. I mean, it's crazy time we're living in,
0: but you do you got anything lined up for your summer? Yeah. Uh, hopefully just a lot of golf. Yeah. A little staring over a little less Staring over my kid's shoulder at uh, you know what they're doing with their Zoom learning for uh, school <laughs> and and now summer school for a couple of weeks. So um, yeah, just hopefully getting out and enjoying the nice weather since here in the Upper Midwest we only get you know three or four months of it a year. But uh, yeah, I do like how things for the the teachers like you and I know there are a lot of teachers in the fantasy community how things time out so perfectly where you really get to dive into uh, the studies and the, the prep for the season ahead when you uh, have a little extra downtime in the summer so that's nice for you guys
1: oh yeah it works out so perfectly what uh what grades are your kids in
0: they are one is going to be a freshman in high school and one is going to be in eighth grade they're just one grade apart so oh, wow. um, nice yeah So it's uh, interesting times for sure, and, uh, you know, my daughter's not too crushed that uh, eighth grade didn't finish quite the way she would have liked with the conventional graduation and all that. You know, I'm just – I feel bad for the the high school and college seniors who didn't get to go out the way they wanted to, but um, hopefully we'll be on track again soon.
1: Absolutely. I know. Losing their senior sports seasons or things like that, it's it's tough. So, yeah, same here. You did the car – graduation parades and things like that, but obviously not quite the same. So, yeah, I they're all taking it so well in stride, though. A great group over where I teach at least. So it's tough, though, totally. But it is summer, so there are more positive times ahead at least. And I'd love to just get a little bit more information on, on you before we dive into the focus of today's show. Uh, we're going to focus on best ball, which, you know, we'll talk about what it is, some roster construction, you know, what players you type target, what, you know, what kind of guys I like to look at in best ball but I love before we dive into the feature segments to learn a little bit more about the wolves we're bringing in um and your we've had a, a really good slate of guests so I'm, I'm thrilled you're able to kind of keep the ball rolling here and the, the question I love to ask everybody before we get going is what's kind of your path been into this fantasy industry how did how and when did you get involved and do you have any advice for you know I'm fairly new and, and others trying to break into the space what would be your advice to us
0: sure um I'll try to give the uh the- Shorter version of of my story, I guess. I, I got into football. I'm kind of an old timer. I I got into fantasy football. Like a friend in college in the early '90s uh, got me into it. And it was just like a one year or a, a one week pool kind of thing where we drafted our teams. And it was just winner take all with the high total every week. And uh, I think my team was terrible, and I thought the whole thing was kind of stupid until I uh, rattled off a couple of wins late in the season, and all of a sudden I got hooked on it and uh, You know, started forming more conventional, uh, formed a conventional fantasy league with some buddies following year. And, uh, you know, before long, we were all just completely hooked and obsessed with it and talked about nothing else when we were together and, uh, you know, just continued to be in that. Like fantasy football was not a hard sell for a lifelong sports junkie. And then, uh, you know, I'm sort of in the, the media, the print media, uh, Field and in late 1997, I got hired by Pro Football Weekly to be an editor for them. Mm. And uh, really, maybe only like 20% of the job was fantasy, but you know, it was certainly easier to get deeper into fantasy. And now I'm starting to write about it a little and, uh, you know, do drafts, mock drafts with my fellow editors and playing leagues with them. So now I'm getting really hooked starting to get into the, the content creation field. Left Pro Football Weekly after only two and a half years but left on real good terms and they invited me to keep contributing to their uh, fantasy coverage on their website as a freelancer and I took them up on that offer and continued to do that for about 15, 16 years until they uh, shut down and then you know landed with the football girl, uh, Melissa Jacobs, the owner and operator of that website had gotten to be kind of a Twitter buddy of mine, and so uh, I have parked my fantasy content over there for a while and and launched this podcast two years, I think it is, two years, yeah, two years ago, and um, that's about it. As far as advice, I mean, I do think it really helps to work on your writing. Like, Mm -hmm. obviously, that matters if you're writing fantasy articles that you want people to read, No one wants to read the work of someone who can't put together clean, coherent sentences. But even if you're not writing articles, maybe you're doing a podcast or you're just doing like heavy data mining and you're mostly a chart and graph kind of person. That's cool. But I mean, I think it still helps to have the writing skills to be able to express yourself well on Twitter. And um, I don't know more specifically, I think everyone should own a very small but essential book called The Elements of Style. It's the Mm. best manual for writing that's ever yep. been written, and reading it will instantly improve your writing.
1: Absolutely. Is that Stunk? What's the guy's name? Stunk or something like that? Strunk? Or Strunk. Strunk. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I read that one in college. I was an English major myself. I love that recommendation. It's it's so clear-cut in the way he uses the, the things he's teaching. I love that book. It's a, a fantastic recommendation. This one's a little bit off script, but you were talking about how you first started and you weren't all that into it. And then you started to kind of build some steam. Was there, I feel like a lot of times people get into fantasy and there's like one player who just like their first season sticks out as the guy that like swung their team, got them hooked. Is there, is there anybody that kind of comes to mind from your first season of playing that just hooked you into the game?
0: Absolutely. So <laughs> I was a total doormat for most of that season and it was the Stefan Page, mm. uh, obscure old wide receiver for the kansas city chiefs who had a uh like phenomenal monday night game that put me over the top one week and um that propelled me to like my first my first victory my first payout and uh Mm -hmm. you know when you're a broke college student getting a nice little payout like that is uh you know that'll (laughs) winning (laughs) a lump sum will yeah it'll perk your interest uh quite a bit so he was he was one guy I have to give uh, credit to, I guess. Oh, uh, I should add one more thing on the advice front. I mean, you don't need an invitation to start putting out content. Like, if you Mm want to write, start a blog. If you want to have a podcast, start a podcast. Just get on Twitter. Follow as many fantasy football people as you can. Start interacting with people in a respectful, non-pushy way. And, you know, when you start putting out content, use Twitter to promote it. So, yeah, you don't have to wait around to be asked to contribute that's the nice thing about it
1: absolutely i think that's huge advice it's kind of how i'm getting going in this game it's been about three or four years and i just i've always loved fantasy i've always liked to write and i just during like a february vacation as a teacher started just writing random stuff and you you don't know exactly where it will go or where you'll land but people started to pay attention as you said you know interacting respectfully i scott barrett one of the industry's biggest guys out there would always put out these weekly sit starts this is when i had you know maybe 100 200 followers at most and i would just comment on them because you'd get obviously barrett's huge you get a a million questions a week and i would just answer them and people started kind of following me from that randomly barrett just kind of dm me one day and was like hey man i really appreciate you you commenting and answering all these since i don't really have the time for it if you'd ever want me to come on a pod i would and then that's just kind of snowballed. I had Barrett on, which kind of gave me some credibility to have other guests. And not that I'm, you know, it's certainly not huge or anything yet. But like you're saying, you just if you don't get started, it will never happen. You just never know where it's gonna go. So I, I love that advice. It's it's what I took for myself, and it's still rolling. And who knows where it will go? So I really appreciate you you sharing that with our our listeners. In terms of your fantasy process, now that you've kind of been in the game and doing it, you started in the 90s, so you've been going for a while. I don't know if your process has changed or evolved since when you first started, but there's obviously, you know, now there's tons of analytics, there's tons of film, and there's a little bit of debate between both. So I don't know if you have kind of like an overview of your process. Has it evolved since you first started, or what do you do to prepare for a season?
0: I think the difference now uh, versus when I first started was that I just – get a much earlier jump on it uh every year i do my first set of redraft rankings in late january or early february while the the playoffs are still actually going on Uh, i just want the most recent season kind of fresh in my head as far as how well or how poorly players were performing and i feel like if i don't do those very early rankings and just wait until after the draft and free agency Then I'm going to wind up letting player performance get completely overshadowed Mm -hmm. by depth charts and early perceptions of what playing time is going to look like. And I mean, so often those early perceptions are faulty in the spring and early summer, right? Right. So, um, yeah, getting the early jump on it is kind of important to me. And then, like, just through, you know, my own research when I'm I'm doing articles and rankings and also through, you know... uh, I follow God hundreds of fantasy people on Twitter, so it's like I'm constantly being bombarded with ideas mm-hmm. and opinions, and you know I see all these things, and and some I find really fascinating and and compelling, and others I just completely reject out of hand. But you know that all of that does kind of change the way that maybe I looked at things on that first pass at rankings. So um, yeah, it's just kind of evolving. I guess, uh, and necessarily like specific steps I go through, but like get those first rankings down and then yep. just kind of start looking through things. But like,
1: mm-hmm. yeah, no, I, I totally agree, man. Talking
0: I think about like the oh. marriage of analytics. Oh, go ahead. No, sorry,
1: sorry. It, paused, it, it cut out for just a second. want to keep diving back into what you were saying between the marriage of analytics and film. We just had a quick dead spot that, that hit there, but keep on rolling, and I'll, I'll comment on it all. I, have, I wrote down a couple of notes. I love everything you're saying. Um, keep rolling with what you were going. Sorry about that dead spot there.
0: Oh, no, no, that's okay. I was just going to say that, you know, there's always this analytics versus film debate. right? Um, you know, and I, I really think it has to be both. Uh, analytics Analytics can kind of clear the fog on a lot of things and help us evaluate players and point the way toward optimal strategies. But I also think you have to have a good handle on the player pool mm-hmm. and it's impossible to do that without actually watching football. You know, we right. we like to use the word film, but that's kind of silly, right? We're not sitting in a room with a projector <laughs> and a bunch of film canisters. Right. But yeah, I mean, there are some guys who do this full time and they'll grind through games and watch the all 22 tape. Personally, I'm not one of those guys. I'm just someone who watches a, ton of football you know the right. TV's on all day sunday and it's often on the direct tv channel with multiple screens showing every game at <laughs> once uh you know i watch the thursday night game the monday night game now that my kids are older and don't need as much managing i'm back to watching a boatload of college football games every saturday um but yeah back to the point i mean i i think film and analytics can live together in sort of a happy marriage it shouldn't be either or but i kind of start with um you know, the player evaluation in that first set of rankings. And then I'll kind of let some of the analytics and the numbers massage my feelings about players, I guess.
1: I think me and you approach the everything the very similarly, if not the exact same, like I, Right when the Super Bowl ends, I I always, no matter if I'm hungover the next day, whatever it is after the game, I just love to just bury it all out and, and make a set of rankings no matter what. And I, I call that kind of my stream of gut. Like there's nothing that can distract me. There's no tweets yet. There's no analysis that's been out there. It's literally purely my gut. And, of course, when players change teams or new coaches come in or whatever you have you, the, the rookies, those are obviously going to change But it is interesting to to look back and then be like, okay, so this guy didn't have a whole lot around him change and I was ranking him significantly lower than what's coming out right now. Like, was I wrong? Do I need to reevaluate? And that's when, as you said, the the analytics and the things that I'm noticing, is there a different usage trend, whatever it might be. I I love that idea of just pouring it all out like right away and then maybe storing it away. Even if you don't look at it, you take a mental break. I personally can't because I'm just so addicted to football. I have to like constantly be reading everything about it. But I love that idea of just getting it all out and then letting the kind of I, I love the description too the the analytics massage the, the film like I, I'm the same type of way I love watching it I just I got into it because I just love football I'm not totally into the analytics but then if there's these pieces of evidence that are kind of is perfectly suggesting what you see in tape or projecting what might happen in the future. You are just at a disadvantage to not use them either. So uh, interesting way to describe it. I really like that. That's awesome. Um, In terms of like tools or different things, there's so much out there now as the game evolves and gains steam. um, So many interesting sites pumping out different ways to mock draft or analyze projections or look at game splits and all these different things. Do you have any... Tools for our listeners that you would, you know, you consider kind of a game changer that you regularly utilize? or are you more kind of bread and butter? What, what, what are some things that you
0: use to prepare? I mean, I'll, I'll just throw out a couple of examples. And yeah. uh, y- one is maybe like more at a player level where, um, I mean, yards per route run is a metric I've been leaning on a little more yes. in the last year or two. Uh, and it's, I think people have come to sort of recognize that uh, it can be a pretty useful metric just because it sort of filters out pure volume and can sometimes shine light on wide receivers and maybe tight ends who aren't getting full-time snaps and just <laughs> show that they're they're doing a lot with the time that they are getting. Uh, and, and then dur- during the season, for instance, when I'm looking at matchups um, for quarterbacks, like if you're looking at how teams are rated, opposing defenses against the pass, those are – usually rated in order of yards allowed, which can be sort of misleading. I mean, a team mm-hmm. like the Chiefs are probably never going to be among the best in terms of yards allowed in the passing game because they have such a powerful offense and opponents usually have to throw a lot to try to keep up. But that doesn't mean the Chiefs have a bad pass defense just because they're right. giving up maybe the, the most passing yards in the league. Uh, so like during the season when I'm trying to look at quarterbacks for the following week, I tend to look at opponent passer rating as a much more uh, true indication of, of how good a team plays past defense. And I know some people think passer rating is kind of flawed and, you know, QBR was devised as a, an answer to that. I'm not sure QBR is any better to be honest. Um, but I've found opponent passer rating kind of helps uh, as that goes. So I, I that's just an example. I mean, there's so many metrics we can point to as being helpful. Right. And I I think sometimes depending on the player, one metric might be more truthful than another. And for another player, the other metric might be more truthful. You know, it, it kinda depends sometimes. Like um, it's not immediately clear what's great and what's or, you know, what's accurate in gauging a player's value and what's kinda noisy. But uh, that metric for a given player might sort of change, depending on who it is. Um, I know that's kind of a weird answer, but for noisy stats, I mean, I guess the obvious one would be yards per carry or yards Mm -hmm. per catch, Um, especially yards per carry. Uh, Like, just a couple years ago, I mean, there were some people who thought Melvin Gordon wasn't good because he was consistently failing to average four yards a carry with the Chargers. But... Yeah, I mean, running behind a really bad offensive line will do that. So, like, to me, I mean, there was never any doubt that Melvin Gordon was good. But, you know, some people would look at that YPC and be like, hey, do we really know if Melvin Gordon's good?
1: Exactly, and then you look at his yards after contact, and it's towards the top of the league every single year. So it's like, you know, you got to figure out which metric is it that's truly... I love the ones that you pointed out for efficiency yards per route run, because maybe if we can project that person that was just killing it for a larger role in the next season, for whatever reason, if somebody left and there's a depth chart dissension, or they're going to spread it out more, or what have you, those are the metrics. I I love the ones you highlighted that emphasize the, the players talent even if we can't get a full grip on their usage. In fact that's kind of leading me. I'm jumping a little all over the place, but the the question I like to ask analysts is like, do they ever come up with a a formula for fantasy success? Whether that's the individual talent, whether that's the usage, whether that's the team, like, is there any type of weight you kind of look at more so than other or indicators, you know, if, if it's the stock market, right? Like indicators for the stock. Is there things that you definitely weigh higher than, than others? Or how do you kind of approach your player evaluations?
0: Yeah. I mean, generally, especially at, at, uh, the non quarterback positions, I guess it's probably usage times mm. talents or talent yeah. times usage, I, I guess. Cause, uh, and it would have to be times rather than plus because, you know, without usage, it's uh right. It's going to be at zero. So, um, yeah, I mean, like it's important to know the depth charts and the opportunity someone might have, um, you know, because without that opportunity, it's hard for them to show off the talent. But I also think sometimes we tend to over rely on depth charts for mm-hmm. uh, our rankings and, and just, you know, making assumptions about how things are going to shake out as far as playing time. And, uh, you know, we're Basically pretty bad at making those types of position uh, projections, I think. So, um, you know, it is good to have some sort of handle on the player pool and the, the true talent of these guys, I guess.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. The, the last question I have before we dig into the meat here of the, the segment is, do you have any other analysts, like whether they're the under the radar gems or kind of established big names, just the guys that you really consider, like the wolves that you go to that just in case our listeners, for whatever reason, haven't heard of, um, who, who are some guys that you really look to as like a wolf or, or an analyst you really respect in the industry?
0: All right. I mean, I could name so many guys. I mean, right. they're just like, Dozens, if not hundreds of guys I respect who have like opened my eyes to new things and who, uh, you know, I just enjoy consuming their content or feel like, you know, I I learn a lot whenever I talk to them or read their stuff. Um, I mean, two who sort of come to mind and like I feel like I'm going to uh, give short shrift to anyone I don't (laughs) mention, like you talked about Scott Barrett. I mean, Scott's been on my podcast a couple of times. He's just, you know, such a sharp dude. It's an um, awesome
1: episode, by the way. I listened to that one yesterday, uh, but just to kind of like get a, a feel for how how you guys do your shows, and and it was awesome. What a, what a, oh
0: thanks, man. Yeah, yeah just Scott, to give that
1: a pump. Fantasy on fits was that that one with uh, the upside conversations. That the one you're referring to? So good. Yes, yes,
0: yeah. Yes. Scott is a, a sharp guy, and he has just rolled out his series on uh, you know looking at the importance of upside, and and just you know. So obviously, he's a guy like that be the one guy who most resonates with me out of all the fantasy people and he's not really an under the radar guy is Rich right. Rebar um, mm. Rich's last name H-R-I B-A-R he is just I think it's the way he looks at things that mm-hmm. it's he, he just like has this uh, I think he sees the game in in ways that other people don't just like not losing fat sight of the fact that we are playing a game like how do you how do you play to win this game? He has interesting views on players. Um, when I talked to him, like uh, on my podcast, a few weeks ago, he had a really interesting observation about Lamar Jackson. This is just a, a one example where he, um, you know, points out that last year Lamar Jackson was very affordable. A lot of people in the fantasy community kind of saw him coming, so he was a, a you know like a, I guess a sharp pick last summer that a lot of the sharp people were on and it was kind of mm. no surprise that he turned a big profit for the people who invested in him. But now that the investment level has gone up so much, the price is so much steeper, you know, then the natural reaction from the fantasy community is going to be to pull back a little and, and sort of let the, uh, you know, the the public have a lot of Lamar Jackson. I know I don't want to be too condescending in saying the public, <laughs> but like, you know the home leaguers who don't right. start really digging in on the research until you know July. Um, but but Rich also pointed out that Baltimore basically had its way last year as far as how the season went. Like everything went great after the first few weeks. Their defense just turned into a monster, and game script was going their way all season. And yet Lamar was still putting up these crazy numbers. Mm-hmm. But then in the playoffs, we think. Saw things totally go sideways for them against the Titans and all of a sudden they're playing from behind and Lamar is playing with his hair on fire. And even though they lost that game, Lamar ends up with like crazy passing numbers over right. 300 yards, multiple touchdowns, add that to like, you know, a hundred plus rushing yards. Uh, he just put up this sick 40 something <laughs> fantasy point total and you know, what if things don't go as smoothly for Baltimore this year? What if there's some sort of pullback and Lamar has three or four of those games where he goes so berserk that no matter who your opponent is playing, you're pretty much winning that (laughs) week. Like if he has a handful of those week and wins you like three or four games single-handedly, I mean, maybe he is worth the late second, early third round price. So Rich is a guy who kind of, uh, I don't know. He can kind of see through the fog sometimes. And like, I always enjoy his approach and some of the things he comes up with and ways to think about things. So yeah, he would be uh pretty high on my list.
1: Absolutely. That's a, a very interesting take too. Cause obviously the whole industry expectation is wait on quarterback, wait on quarterback. And the argument behind sure. it is so valid. The opportunity costs, the supply and demand. It, it makes sense. And I've always been a wait on QB guy. I think this year, with the depth at wide receiver, if you're not going, you know, running back, running back, running back early and stockpiling bell cows, this might be the year to, to shoot for that weak winning style edge that Lamar Jackson brings. That's such an interesting, you know, take to to veer from it. I personally, in my main league, my hometown buddies that I've been in forever. I faced, I had the pleasure, the distinct pleasure of facing Lamar Jackson, not once or twice, but three times last year, week one, and then that was that kind of opponent you see right before the end of the season. And then I met that guy in the semifinals of the playoffs. Every time I faced him, he scored 35 or more fantasy points. And no. I just, I, and that guy ended up winning the league too, but it just, I had no shot no matter what. And that's the type of guy he brings. So if he's fallen to late round two, you have Christian McCaffrey already on your team or one of these locked in kind of bell cows why not get that shot at like it, like you said, it's gonna be probably twenty points no matter what, and very often gonna hit that you know thirty to even forty point like it insanity. so uh, rich is a, a great one to toss out like that. I'm definitely gonna hope to have him on this too uh, to do this segment with him because he he definitely i love it just sees the game in a different way. Uh, it's a fantastic way to put it. so thank you for shouting him out and if any of you guys don't follow Rich or Pat uh, that's paying attention right now, be sure to follow both of those guys on uh facebook uh pat before we dig into the best ball do you mind just kind of pumping real quick where our listeners can find you and and see some of your content
0: oh sure uh place to start i guess is on twitter where you can find me at fits underscore ff and uh my written content including my rankings uh is always parked at thefootballgirl.com Uh, Obviously, I am not the football girl, but my uh, colleague Melissa Jacobs runs that site and allows me to park all my fantasy stuff there. And then, uh, you know, if you search for "fits on Fantasy, you will uh, find my podcast, which is on most of the major platforms, uh, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud. So, um, you know, hopefully that's uh, an hour that's worth your listening time every week.
1: It absolutely is. uh... Yeah, keep going. Sorry, but I, I did want to say I, no, I, I as soon as I found the podcast through you, I, I've been listening weekly, and it's every guest you have. The interviews are always fantastic. Sorry, sorry to interrupt no, you, thanks,
0: brother. <laughs> no, absolutely. you didn't at all. I was, I was just gonna. Well, thanks for that, and uh, no, thank you for giving me the chance to you know pitch my uh, my content. I really appreciate it.
1: Oh, Of course, absolutely, and uh, and we appreciate you being on here, especially now. We're gonna dive into the the feature here of best ball. Um so obviously it's you know mid June to late June right now these ADPs are going to change, especially if and when training camp hits and we get reports or if injuries happen. So it's not like if somebody finds this episode in August, it's exactly reflective of the market we're going to be playing with. But still, there's definitely approaches to, you know, first of all, what is best ball and then how do you construct a roster? And some of these player values, most of them are fairly locked in at this point. So I think we can really paint a good picture of who to target, um, when to target, who to avoid and things like that, especially within this specific setting uh, but before we kinda go into the specific players, what is best ball for any of our listeners who may not play it right now, could you kinda give us a quick summary of how it works?
0: Yeah, so there are sites that open up draft rooms basically in, in February, pretty, you know, mm-hmm. soon after the Super Bowl ends, they are opening their draft rooms for the following season. And best ball is nice because you draft your team and then you forget it. You don't have to <laughs> uh you know, people love drafting. Like that's the most fun thing about fantasy football right um you know managing our teams in season is fun too but it can also be time consuming if you're managing multiple teams so with best ball there are no ad drops there are no lineups to be set every week you get your highest scores at every position every week you get your single highest scoring quarterback your two highest scoring running backs three highest scoring receivers one highest scoring tight end uh and highest scoring team defense and I think highest scoring flex. And uh in best ball you typically I don't know, in, in fan fanball it's uh twenty spots in, in uh NFFC and some of these other sites they're they're different rosters. Some are more like twenty eight guys per team. Mm-hmm. Um in either case you get your best scoring guys every week. So uh sometimes that kinda changes the guys you're going after. You're chasing ceiling a little bit more than right. floor. Um so that's the gist of it. It's really a lot of fun. And um, yeah, man, I'm, I'm I've pretty much had at least one or two basketball drafts in the air uh, ever since like late February, early March, I think <laughs> Love it. even before the NFL draft. Yeah, they're a blast.
1: It is so nice to not have to to draft, as you said, the funnest part of fantasy. It truly is. Draft day is always the best. But to be able to do that and then not have to deal with the headaches of league management and trades and, and fantasy picks. and Again, we all love that stuff. It's great to have that. But when you do so many leagues, it can start to feel like a headache. So to have that thrill of drafting and not the management is a huge plus to it. You've already kind of hinted at, you know, you want to start targeting stealing because it auto-picks the, the people in your lineup. What are some other kind of specific philosophies or methods you have to roster
0: construction, if any? Yeah, so uh, I generally do the fan ball draft. Mm-hmm. Um, I tend to have a pretty specific construction. Like I'll go almost always two quarterbacks, five running backs, uh, seven receivers, um Two tight ends and three defenses. And the the defense thing is kind of, I don't know, I'll, most people I think draft two. I draft three just because I want to maximize my upside chances. And, and, like, those are always my last three picks. And that leaves me with one spot left over that I will put at, you know, whatever position I consider to be my weakest, usually. Although mm-hmm. I, I tend not to do it at, at quarterback. Um, so it's it's often a tight end if I'm kind of waiting on tight end, I'll, I'll take a third guy or, you know, maybe I kind of got the uh, left out at, at, on some of the top running backs and maybe I'll add a running back or maybe I'll take another receiver. But um, I, I think early on, I'm generally trying to, you know, really hammer the running back and wide receiver positions early on, uh, you know, just because you've got to start multiple guys every week. I mean, especially receiver, having to do at least three, plus you can have a flex there. Like, you really want to build a pretty uh, deep basket of wide receivers and, and, you know, kind of hammer those guys early and often.
1: Absolutely, yeah. I tend to, and I'm still pretty new to the best ball game, but it's very similar to what you say. I love to hammer running back receiver early, particularly running backs very early in the drafts. I'm not sure if you have like a – A position you target at various stages for me and who knows how successful we'll see how it goes I feel like the the running back pool kind of shallows out from those like true bell cow upside the guys that might have 20 to 25 touch upside especially in, in high potent offenses by mid round you know by the end of round two and sometimes they trickle into round three if Melvin Gordon or people like that fall there. So I try to hammer running back pretty early, and then I just load up on those high upside receivers, like you're saying, that could just boom and have... 30 point days that I might not have started they might have been the headache on my bench and I always bench them in the wrong weeks and always play them in, uh, uh, you know in the right uh, the wrong times too so it could be those guys they finally are your flexes at the right time which is nice as well so loading up on a bunch of those does your do you have a tend like I was saying I go running back early receivers does it depend on your draft slot or do you tend to target different types of players and, and positions at different stages whether early middle or late?
0: It does, to some degree, depend on draft slot, but I totally yeah. agree with you, Wolf. Uh, like, this year in particular, just the way it shakes out, it seems like a running back, running back start makes a lot of sense. Just mm-hmm. because, you know, it's nice to get, if you can get Michael Thomas or Devontae Adams, sure. Like, if those guys... right. <laughs> would be slipping into the second round. Michael Thomas is never slipping into the second round. Never. Devontae Adams is almost never slipping into the second round. Um it's just yeah, it's it's kind of easier to it feels like you're walking downhill the rest of the draft if you start with those two good running backs. You don't yeah. feel you don't feel as obligated to reach for guys later in the draft because it seems like a lot of the running backs you're taking in uh, the sixth seventh eighth round feel kind of gross at the round you're you're taking them like you know taking Ronald Jones in the seventh round or uh Tevin Coleman in the seventh round or you know even Darius Geis in like the the early sixth or something like that those those don't feel like real confident picks and meanwhile the some of the running backs or wide receivers you can get in the 6th, 7th, and 8th round, are really attractive guys. Right. Um, you know, when you can get Jarvis Landry in the 6th round, when you can get, you know, Terry McLaurin late in the 5th round or, or something like that. I, I think, uh, you know, the tides definitely sort of uh, are, are with you when you hit running back early and then start hammering wide receivers for, you know, 3rd through 6th or 4th through 6th, 4th through 7th yeah. rounds. Yeah, I'm with you. That's that's kind of been my build, too. And then um, just getting back to roster construction, like the middle rounds, that's a good time to hit your tight ends and your quarterbacks, I think. Like, yeah, I mean, sometimes it's nice to have Travis Kelsey or George Kittle. Um, Obviously, you're making a sacrifice at at running back and wide receiver to do that. So I tend to shot more at the the John O. Smith, TJ Hawkinson Mm. type level. And uh, you know you can always find some pretty interesting tight end prospects in the middle rounds, along with like the bulk of the the late uh, late QB one types, the the Carson Wentzes, the Matt yes. Ryan's. Uh, so yeah, those that's kind of how you should spend your middle rounds, I think, for the most part.
1: Absolutely, yeah. I know we we keep highlighting the depth at receiver, but tight end, some of those names you just tossed out, Jonu Smith, TJ Hawkinson, don't go till tight end 20. And it, I mean, there's 20 right. tight ends with huge weekly upside. That's I mean, that's also a pretty deep pool for a position that's a onesie position and also has typically been so shallow, and who knows if there will actually be consistency. It's been tough to find more than six to seven yearly consistently guys, but I guess in best ball, you know, that's not about necessarily having that steady guy you know is going to be reliable every week. It's two to three explosive guys late that hey this one blew up one week this guy disappeared but it doesn't matter cuz the best one is in my lineup so i i'm fully aboard the uh the roster construction that you're suggesting and the, the when and where to target players we're going to dive into specific players in one second i just wanted to shout out this article cuz i again i'm pretty new to best ball. But I was reading up yesterday just to make sure I I didn't sound like a buffoon on this podcast. And there's an article on four for four, another one of my favorite fantasy sites out there. And it's a great one about the the roster construction of the most winning FFPC, one of the bigger best ball tournaments, uh, roster construction from last year in the top one, the 10.8% win weight Uh, win rate had three quarterbacks seven running backs eight receivers four tight ends three defenses so that was just again just to shout out what was the actual science behind it that was the main um, winning lineup of course there's other ways you can go about it it was only a 10.8 percent but hey any any edge out there we'll look for we'll take Um, but now diving into those specific you've kind of given us the positions you target the order and you've tossed out a few names that I love it's let's start going into the, the the round you know the stages of the draft and talking about who you really hope to land. I, I guess we can start with early. It's a little bit different. That's where draft slot definitely you know takes a toll and and you're kind of dictated who's there to you. But is there any players you you're really hoping to leave those early rounds with in your best ball leagues?
0: Yeah. So I think the first and second rounds are largely dictated by yeah draft order and like I don't think my um wish list really is is that different from people's uh most other people's in terms of like the first two rounds you know I'm targeting Mm -hmm. McCaffrey and Saquon Barkley with those first (laughs) two picks if I'm toward the middle of the round I you know maybe think about like Joe Mixon or um I don't know, as it gets later in the round, maybe, uh, you know, hoping to maybe get some Nick Chubb, Aaron Jones type combination on the turn. Like, I don't think any of that changes. I think the third round is where things kind of get interesting. And depending on where I am, um, you know, like when I, when I finally want to break out of the running back, uh, off the running back track after I've got my two guys in there. I mean, the two receivers who I like a lot, who seem to be available in the you know, mid-third or later, uh, Kenny Galladay and Alan Robinson, mm-hmm. just because I think for some people they're, they're more like wide receiver two types, but I really think they're um, pretty legitimate wide receiver one types, maybe back-end wide receiver ones. Uh, you know, Alan Robinson is just clearly the guy in uh, Chicago, and, and maybe it scares off some people that he doesn't have a great quarterback that he's playing with but he was able to put up really impressive numbers last year playing with Mitch Trubisky so <laughs> right. uh that says quite a bit about him and <laughs> and Kenny Galladay is certainly got certainly a guy who just I mean seeing is believing with him he's just so good and you know the fact that he was able to consistently score touchdowns last year with David Bilal as his <laughs> quarterback who you know a guy I'm I'm kind of Shocked has been able to stick in the NFL. Um, Yeah, I mean, Galladay's just phenomenal. And even though a lot of people like Marvin Jones, and Marvin Jones is a quality number two, like Galladay is clearly the alpha receiver in Detroit. So um, those two guys, and, and one more guy, like I really like. I think some people think the mid to late third round is too early for him, and he does get into the fourth round in some leagues, but. I love Jonathan Taylor. I think mm-hmm. he's the best running back prospect we've seen since Saquon Barkley. Wow. Uh, you know, the, the size-speed combination. Uh, and I am a little biased here because I am a Wisconsin guy, but, <laughs> but his footwork is just amazing. He started to catch passes more in his last season when he, you know, asked the coaching staff to involve him in the passing game more. Uh, and he, he landed in just a great spot with the Colts and their incredible offensive line. So I think he's going to eat in year one. And I think it's kind of nice that Clyde Edwards-Alaire is being regarded as like the more uh, attractive rookie running back. And I think that has kind of affected Taylor's price and made him just a, a great third round, early fourth round value.
1: Absolutely, he's a, he's a very interesting one to shout out uh, because is this a lot of people? It seems to be with Taylor is like mediocre year one prospects, but long term, man, this guy's gonna kill it in more of a dynasty leaguer. But you're on the train. This guy is just gonna eat right from the first minute he walks in. I mean, I love yeah. I, I loved watching him play. He was certainly my number one ranked running back this year. Uh, And, I mean, the line, the the powerful back, it it is just such a beautiful marriage. Would you take him above Hilaire even in Redraft or Dynasty?
0: I got him one spot above Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Wow. You know, I, I think part of the big reason why people have Edwards Hilaire higher and in some cases significantly higher is just the, the coach speak we've seen after the draft, like mm-hmm. Andy Reed just can't stop talking about Clyde Edwards, Hilaire and how he reminds him of Brian Westbrook and how he's going to have a big role right away. That's all great. Um, you know, but like Andy Reed lied his ass off to us last year about, uh, <laughs> about LaShawn McCoy veterans maintenance or whatever, and how mm-hmm. he was just, Oh, we're just basically resting him for a couple of weeks. He'll be back. And, you know, he kind of wasn't back. Like he was being marginalized and, and shut out of the offense, basically. And uh, it's great that Frank Reich and Chris Ballard want to keep up the morale for Marlon Mack and Naheem Hines. But those guys are not keeping Jonathan Taylor off the field.
1: I was just gonna. I had two follow ups, and one of them was gonna be: Do you buy the committee talk at all with Mack and Hines? Do you truly think a a three down roll is gonna happen for Taylor? That was gonna be the kind of second question. Is part of that is. Are you worried at all about the lack of camps and all that You know, because of the virus going on? A lot of people are getting a little bit down on rookies and saying the, the learning curve is going to be a little bit steeper. So I guess a two-parter part of is do you, are you worried about the committee? You think it's going to be a true three-down roll? And if so, is that going to be delayed at all or, or when do you think we can anticipate that?
0: Well, I'll say, first of all, as far as the the three-down roll, we're not going to see a true three-down roll for Jonathan Taylor. I mean, Mm. we see that for so few guys. Jonathan Taylor wasn't even a three-down back at Wisconsin. I mean, they would take him out on passing downs. My God, otherwise the guy would have gotten 500 touches for the Badgers (laughs) uh, last year. But, yeah, they had a a passing-down guy that they used in his absence. And Jonathan Taylor's first year was uh, Daria Agumba wale was their passing-down back. So, Mm. Um, yeah, like an, obvious on third and six, it's not going to be Jonathan Taylor in there. It's going to be Naheem Hines. Yeah. So I don't think, I don't think Hines, Hines's role is going to change very much, but it's Marlon Mack, man. I mean, he's the guy who's going to very much lose out here. And a guy I have no interest in drafting just because I think Taylor is going to, uh, zoom by him in terms of usage. Absolutely. And, I, uh, yeah. I'll oh, keep going. Keep going. Oh, I was just going to get at the the second question about rookies yes. in general this year. Yes, I think it's more worrisome for the guys who are involved in passing games, the uh, wide receivers and tight ends. It's going to mm-hmm. be a little harder for them to sync up. I think with the uh, you know non conventional training camps, with the uh, you know curtailed or uh, eliminated. Um, Uh, spring programs and and team meetings and stuff like that. So it is going to be harder for those guys to um, get in sync with the quarterback, get in sync with the offense. Uh, That kind of thing can take time for pass catchers anyway. And now these guys are kind of set back by it. But, you know, I think running back, it's always easier to make that transition, see the hole, go through the hole, um, you know, a, a little less of a learning curve. So, I think they're going to be rookie running backs who contribute right away. And, uh, you know, maybe we see it affect the rookie receivers more.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great point. It's often how it goes anyways is the, the running backs tend to translate much quicker just because it's it's not as much required of you, not as much syncing up and learning of playbooks. So it's a huge point to to consider there. I'd say in that similar range of where you're targeting people, I love all the names you shout out. I'm in full agreement that – I expect Taylor. You know, even if it's by mid-season, especially with Marlon Mack's inconsistent injury history, as soon as he takes that fully, he's going to feast. You're right. He doesn't need to be a full true three-down guy, but if he's getting, if he approaches 250 to even you know 270 touches in this offense behind that line, I mean, good God, the, the yes. talent, the player, it's it's going to be phenomenal. So I'm, I'm fingers crossed. I'm really hoping. It happens sooner than later because it's just going to be a joy to watch. Just as a football fan, but also as a fantasy fan, if he's on your team, I mean, it could be a a pure feasting. The guys I like in that kind of third-round range where you do have a little more flexibility. You're not as locked into draft slot. Although I would say that the second round, there is kind of a debate. Is like, which guy of these running backs, if I know I'm going running back, running back, do I go? There's kind of like the Drake, the Ecklers, you know, uh, it's a little bit tricky in that sense. You, sure. Why don't we just before we go on of those kind of like second round running backs? Do you kind of have a preference behind that tier of like the Eckler, if Sanders fell, the Kenyon Drakes, the Aaron Joneses? Like, do you have a guy you you lean on in that second round?
0: Yeah, um, Sanders would be my favorite, and he's yeah. he's not unfortunately he's getting it. to the second round right. as much lately. Like I, um, and I'm a little concerned that. I don't think there's any good way to spin the Brandon Brooks uh, Achilles injury for him. Like the Mm, the Eagles starting right guard just blew out his Achilles. And and Brooks was one of the highest graded guards in the league last year. Uh, Maybe even the highest by PFF. I'm not sure about that, but definitely one of the best. So that's that's going to hurt. But um, maybe it'll hurt him a little less because he is uh, derives so much of his value from receiving and it was nice last year even when he was not looking that great as a runner and and maybe was uh i don't know being kind of tentative with the way he was running on handoffs early last year and and sort of got him relegated to the n- number 2 ball carrier behind Jordan Howard last year but at that point Miles Sanders was still really producing in the passing game. He was running routes downfield, which is exciting for a running back. We don't always see that. You know, it wasn't just little screen passes. uh, And then finally late in the year down the stretch, we saw him take over as the lead runner, and he was still producing in the passing game. I think in the Eagles' last six or seven games including the playoffs i think sanders had at least five targets in every game and when you're catching balls at an 80% rate like he did averaging about 10 yards a catch like that's just when you can bank those 10 ppr points every <laughs> every week i mean that's massive and then you know the running yardage is just gravy uh so yeah he has a chance to be really valuable I like Aaron Jones. Obviously, the touchdown total is going to come down. There's no way he's getting into the high teens again. But, you know, A.J. Dillon seems to be scaring some people off. So Jones has been slipping into the second rounds. I like him. Uh, You know, I I guess I'm not going to get Kenyon Drake. Now that Kenyon Drake has almost become a consensus end of the first round guy. Mm -hmm. Um, Not so much because I don't like him, although we have still never seen a a full Kenyon Drake eats kind of season like that still hasn't happened yet. Yeah. Things look great in Arizona after the trade, but he's also got two really good guys behind him in um, Chase Edmonds and then a rookie who I'm not sure why, you know, Benjamin fell to the seventh round, but uh, a guy who was pretty electric at Arizona state in Mm -hmm. college. So um, I'm just a little worried that there's some interesting competition behind Drake and it would only take, you know, a sprained ankle to really uh, overturn the depth chart maybe there. So I'm not sure I want to sail into that risk with Drake.
1: Yeah, I, I personally am a, a, all in on Drake myself, even above, you know, Aaron Jones, you hinted at the TD regression, and I guess I am on that train that... He shouldn't lose the goal line role. He was so good at it last year. I mean, led the league in rushing TDs. But AJ Dillon is that the yeah, Derek Henry sized monster. Like if if he eats in at all, because they were it was bound to come down no matter what, just natural TD regression. And if he does eat. Into that total. I mean, so much. I think it ends up being like 36% of his fantasy value was on TDs alone. So I'm slightly nervous, but then there's also the other flip of the coin where it's like, well, it's his last year of his contract. What if they just ride him into the ground? I don't think that will ever happen, but man, if it ever did, if he gets the usage, he's such an exciting player. Uh, but with Drake, the, the one thing I do like is, and it's almost baked into your answer, is he's so good and if he went down, I mean, Chase Edmonds' price is very cheap, as is Eno you know, Benjamin. So if you just kind of own that backfield, to me, it kind of seemed like throughout the year that offense was based around one guy, one guy in the backfield. It's how they operate, you know, not having to substitute, involving the guy in the past game so they can push the pace. It, it seemed to me whether it was David Johnson those first five weeks or so, then it was Chase Edmonds for a handful, and then it was Drake. There was always monster running back games happening, and it was mostly because it was one guy there. So I, even if I Drake goes down, I, I'm hoping to just own that kind of Arizona backfield, whether it's best ball or standard formats, just to kind of lock it in. Um, in terms of the third round, I love the guys you brought up. I, I'm all in on all of them. The only names I just want to shout out for, for my personal opinion is I love DJ Moore. I think this offense is going to ignite under Joe Brady with Teddy Bridgewater, who has experience from the Saints, which is where Joe Brady's scheme all that. I mean, a lot of people already know this if they've listened to the podcast. I'm all in on that offense. I think it's going to light up, and I think that TD total is finally going to rise to match those insane yak that he racks up. It's going to be a beautiful season from him. Um, and I also love Curtis Samuel even later for his price. But I'm trying to get a lot of pieces of that game. And Odell Beckham, I mean, for especially for best ball, the way he's falling, I know it's going to be a run-heavy offense, but man, the way Diggs was used on so many vertical routes last year, I think like... 70 percent of his yards or something crazy the exact ratio I forget but so much of it was deep yardage and if this guy is back to full health it might be one of those kind of players you always have in your your heart that won you a fantasy title I know we all have him Uh, his rookie season he just carried my lifeless team into a title and won it for me so I've kind of always been a Beckham guy just at my core and now the fact that I can get him at the end of round three often, and especially in a best ball format, those are the two other guys. I, I just kind of wanted to shout out in addition to your, your third, fourth kind of turn picks as we then turn into the mid round. If you want to comment on either of those guys, feel free as well. Um, or if you want to just kind of turn your attention to the mid round and who you're targeting, uh, feel free to just kind of address either.
0: <laughs> oh, sure. Uh, and, and I do like all those mid round or uh, third round guys that you mentioned. Um, you know, i I've, stocked up on DJ Moore in a, uh, yeah. I, I do not want to, uh, not have my fair share of DJ Moore with a, uh, you know, the, the Matt rule and, uh, Joe Brady offense like that could be a, a potentially great situation. And, and Moore showed us what he could become last year. I mean, he was just, you know, he, he was evolving and, and might be close to fully evolved here. And I think like, yeah, he's absolutely going to be a, a perennial wide receiver one, uh, mid round so you know i mentioned that that's kind of the quarterback tight end round for me and i mentioned guys like TJ Hawkinson and Janu Smith tight ends i like um, you know qu- quarterbacks that you can get uh, without pushing too hard i mean if if uh, we're talking like a guy I'm perfectly comfortable going in with uh, as my qb1 this is assuming i'm just you know, hammering wide receiver and running back early is Jared Goff, actually. And and a guy who's typically coming off the board is like the fourteenth or fifteenth quarterback. And um, you know, do I do I think Jared Goff is uh an upper echelon quarterback in the NFL? No, I really don't, <laughs> but I also think he doesn't completely suck. Maybe some people think he does, but uh, you know, he's he's got a real sharp play caller in uh, Sean McVay, he's got you know ample pass catching talent around him with Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, uh, the two tight ends, Everett and Higby, um, and he went through a really bad midseason slump where he lost some of his guys last year and uh, you know was dealing with some real shaky pass blocking. But towards the end of the season, I mean, over the last five Rams games. Uh, Goff averaged 328 passing yards and had 11 TD passes. So mm. I still think this is an offense that's worth betting on. And, you know, Goff is just really cheap right now. Um, and I've, uh, believe it or not, Wolf, I've actually been kind of attracted to some of the jets cause they're, uh, pretty easy to get in the late rounds. Like, I think we're going to get a Sam Darnold breakout fairly soon. Mm. I mean, there's a guy who could become an upper echelon quarterback. I mean, he's got the, uh, the draft capital behind him, I think his arrival was kind of slowed last year by the fact that he had mononucleosis that, you know, kept him out of some games and surely had him playing at well under 100% in others. Uh, I think people just hate Adam Gase, which is driving down the price of Darnold. <laughs> and, um, you know, as a guy, you can easily pair him with. Uh, I think Rashad Perriman is legit. And um, I don't know, people tend to chase after Jamison Crowder just because he was kind of a target monster last year. But this Crowder's never had a thousand yard season. He is not a, a big touchdown scorer. Like, there's just not a lot of upside with Crowder, whereas Perriman was just an absolute monster yeah. late last year. And I realized that was because Godwin and Evans were injured. But. I mean, it wasn't like Godwin and Evans were injured, both injured for all of the last five or six Buccaneers games when Perriman was starting to go off. Like there were a couple games where they were both injured, but sometimes it was just Godwin. Sometimes it was just Evans and Perriman was producing. And, uh, yeah, I, I kind of fully believe in Perriman and if he can stay healthy, I think he's going to have a nice season for the Jets and he's cheap.
1: Absolutely, I on the Paramon train. I'm actually I was writing an article on him yesterday. I haven't published it yet, but it's funny when he was on your list. Uh, I've compiled a bunch of stuff on this guy over the last, like, day reading quotes and whatnot. But to to illustrate that breakout point again, yes, I get the context behind it, the the receivers being out in front of him. But 37 targets, 25 catches, 506 yards, and 5 TDs in 5 games. I mean, that's insanity. He was actually the most owned player on championship teams, uh, according to ESPN statistics, where they tell you who were, like, your league winners. It wasn't the full playoffs, although I think he was in there for 15 by 15. I think owners finally trusted him, especially if they had had Godwin to carry them, and then they picked him up in the stretch run. And when they put him in Week 16, he had another blow-up game. He really didn't have a bad game down that stretch. He called it himself just a sneak peek of what's to come. I mean, there's so many of those efficiency metrics that you were suggesting. One that I like is like success on deep passes. He caught 41.7% rate of 20-plus passes, 15 of 36 last year. That was the best rate since 2011 uh, and top three among you know, a 1,000-yard wideout season since 2010. So, I mean, this guy definitely had those efficiency light bulbs going off. It is, to me, a clear number, two. if maybe if anyone is going to evolve into like a, a big ex-Demarius Thomas like Gase used to use type of guy, it could be Perriman. So, I mean, I love that case. I love that that player. Even if Darnold, you know, maybe his struggles last year were because of the mononucleos, it, it could totally be that. Uh, so definitely, I, I, I'm liking that one a lot uh, for late guys. The Goff one's intriguing because the the line doesn't look much better, but then you, sugge- you you shout out his last few games. That's when they kind of went into that 12 personnel, uh, yeah, a lot heavier rate to protect him a little bit longer. It sounds like that's kind of how they're molding the offense. It suggests you know when you trade Brandon Cooks away like that, it suggests we might see a whole lot more of that. I, I liked betting on Sean McVeigh. Even if I don't love Goff, I like betting on McVeigh uh, and kind of he seems to be orchestrating a rebuild and figuring out how to cover up some of those weaknesses. So I could totally see that being a, a sneaky late guy. Uh, even before then, like it, when looking at the middle rounds, right, like that's you talked about kind of you start to hammer wide receivers in five through six. Um, I want to give some of my late guys in a little bit too, but I do want to make sure we cover those like five through eight before we get to the, the late round guys that with huge upside, are there any kind of receivers or if you go running backs in those mid rounds or tight ends or or whatever it might be, is there anybody you find yourself kind of hammering over and over again? Cause it is a tough pool of talent. It's still so deep this year that I, I have a hard time picking out the right guys in those rounds, five through six through eight. Is there anyone that you keep finding yourself getting in those middle rounds?
0: Oh yeah. Uh, Terry McLaurin keeps mm. finding his way onto my rosters in like the fifth Love rounds, it. maybe the sixth round of drafts. Um, you know, a lot of these second year receivers actually, uh, kind of fall into that wheelhouse area. I think, uh, I'm a, a DK Metcalf guy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I just think the upside is pretty irresistible there. Debo Samuel is the guy who you can get in the sixth. Uh, it, well, some of the time his price seems to be going up a little, but, uh, I think those are definitely receiver rounds. Sometimes you know in the seventh or eighth, i'll I'll bust out a Tyler Higby um, because I totally w- agree with what you said about the uh, enhanced usage of the twelve formation for the Rams and how they're mm-hmm. probably going to go that way a lot more this year to help with some of their offensive line problems. Um, yeah, so basically, I think that is fertile ground for for pass catchers.
1: Absolutely, I love all the ones you shout out. Those are kind of. I love going that sophomore like route. There's so many good talents. They already kind of broke out. Like, what if they take the leap further? Especially McLaurin. I mean, you're the. I've had four or five. We call them these wolf segments, and I think every single one of them, whether it's Graham Barfield, Ian Hart, it's. Every single one of them keeps saying they're targeting um, Terry McLaurin. So when this type of drum from these quality of analysts keeps getting hit, and, I, and it didn't need to be hit for me, I already, I already loved him too. But anybody paying attention that doesn't buy, I get the offense here. Washington not great. Maybe you know Haskins not the most intriguing. But let's say this guy does take a next step. All the reports are he's been really actually taking it serious after kind of embarrassing himself as a rookie, not learning the playbook as well as he could have, not really diving all in because he thought he was. Just going to be a backup. You hate to see that temperament even in the first place, but the fact that he's coming back with the best shape of his career and all those reports, and who knows what's puffing who's not, but even just a mild step forward from him for a guy that's clearly still atop the target totem pole, I mean, I'm all about the McLaurin buzz. The other guy, to build on that Rams train, I love the the league-winning upside of Higby. I mean, that stretch run he had, number one tight end in fantasy for those last six weeks, I think he was the guy behind Brashad Perriman as like the most often on a championship roster. So clearly, we've already seen league-winning upside from him. If that carried out for a full season, probably impossible. It was like a 200-target pace. But still, right. you know, even mildly, he'd be that next kind of Mark Andrews to really be that elite-style tight end. I also also love Robert Woods in those middle rounds too. I mean, yeah. yes, Cooper Cup it goes first and blew up and was a top five receiver. Ultimately, all said and done, but after that shift, we keep talking about that twelve personnel. I mean, he he outpaced Robert Woods, but I mean, uh, Robert Woods outpaced Cooper Cup by a pretty significant margin it was like 19.2 fantasy points over those last seven weeks as compared to about like 12 or so for cooper cup so i mean this guy became that alpha that, that we've often seen him before and especially in best ball yeah it's a frustrating situation where which receiver you know sometimes they both blow up sometimes it's higby it's a it's a tricky offense because it seems very game plan specific but again that that nice part about best ball is you don't have to really deal with the headache you have robert woods for his 30 point blow up and he's automatically in your lineup you don't have to have the headache of benching him, so he's the, the other receiver. I wanted to make sure to shout out alongside um, the those other names, especially with this Rams list we've been talking about and betting on that offense, uh, rebounding. Is there any other either mid-round running backs? As we said, we like to kind of establish our, our stable, if you hit for lack of a better word, of horses early on. Is there any mid-round guys? The one I keep finding myself getting is Kareem Hunt, just because... If something happens to Chubb, I mean, he'd be a top three weekly guy in that that system of Stefanski's, the zone blocking that made Dalvin Cooks a monster on his own, but certainly facilitated an elite season last year. We've seen it over and over again, that zone blocking scheme work wonders for great talents and also no names alike. So a player like – if either of those guys end up getting the backfield to themselves – they're going to be monsters. Uh, I, I like getting both of them. Obviously, it's tough to, to justify the price to get both of them. But if I don't get Chubb early, I find myself landing Hunt a lot. Is there any mid-round running back that you feel like you gravitate to? Or are you kind of strictly receiver-receivers? Let's hammer that position away.
0: No, Hunt's a good one. I also like Tony Pollard for much the same reason, that I mm. think he could you know, still have some usable weeks even if Ezekiel Elliott stays healthy because I think – Mike McCarthy is, has liked to uh, use multiple backs. I mean, he had Aaron Jones and people were saying free Aaron Jones when Mike McCarthy was there. They knew the talent that Aaron Jones had, but he was still using Jamal Williams in equal proportions. Um, I don't think we're going to see Tony Pollard splitting time with Ezekiel Elliott, but I think we're going to see him used in the passing game some. So he might have usable weeks. And if anything happens to Elliott, then obviously he becomes a monster. Um I like Tevin Coleman simply because I'm not really buying Raheem Mostert. Um, Mm. You know, Mostert, he's an older back. He's in his late 20s. He was undrafted, was not much of a college prospect at all. Uh, He's undersized and he doesn't catch passes. Like there are a lot of red flags to me on Raheem Mostert. And, you know, I just think. Tevin Coleman not super exciting I mean I'm not trying to sell him as like Some sort of exceptional (laughs) talent but he Is fast and he plays in a a Terrific offense and he's Going to have at least a You know a a seat in the committee So um, You know I feel like kind of A a bet on Tevin Coleman is a Little bit of a bet against Raheem Mostert and I'm happy to put that Bet down Um, And uh, another guy I, I Think I mean, he's he's starting to uh, zoom up in price a little bit, but Alexander Madison, hmm. um, I don't, right. I, I guess we probably can't even consider him a mid-round guy anymore because he's starting to go in like the sixth or seventh round <laughs> of balls just because of the threat of a Dalvin Cook holdout. Right. But um, you know those, that's kind of what we're looking for, right? These these Yahtzee running backs where um, they're going to have a role. But uh, you know something could conceivably happen where their role suddenly is dramatically enhanced. So, at the floor, they're going to give you some usable weeks, and at the ceiling, they're going to be you know big scale tippers.
1: Absolutely, those those handcuff with benefits in a way,
0: uh, right. type right. type
1: of guys. I love loading up my bench with them, especially in best ball formats. Uh, Latavius Murray kind of fits that bill If something happens to Kamara We saw back-to-back 30-point Over 30-point weeks uh, the, the upside in that offense is Clearly insane He's a little more expensive than say like A, a Chase Edmonds But also that, that same idea too As some other late-round running backs To stockpile those handcuff, uh With benefit-style guys Is there any other, you know, whether you late round or so, you highlighted Goff at quarterback. I feel like that's kind of where I start to dip my toes into the quarterback pool and just, I love your strategy. Three of them or so in that range, whether it's Locke, Tannehill, Goff, whether it's, uh, you know, any of those guys, really Gardner Minshew has some rushing upside. There's just so many of them that could truly take off even in that, you know, late eighteen to twenty five range. The one I, I and I kind of suggested it earlier when I talked about DJ Moore. I find myself just always leaving a draft with Teddy Bridgewater. I I just think He's not all that exciting as a player. He gets this game manager label, but when you're surrounded by these type of yak monsters, I mean, McCaffrey, DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel, who's been so misused up to this point, they could totally light it up in this type of scheme. And then you still got Robbie Anderson taking the top off. It's not like Teddy can't throw a deep ball. I just, even if I don't love, love Teddy, I really think Joe Brady could be the real deal, and I... I think the weapons around Teddy, I think Teddy's good enough, I like Teddy enough to then buy into the offensive weapons, to buy into the system, uh, and really go all in. Do you like Teddy or any of those other quarterbacks, uh, in addition to Goff, that you kind of find yourself putting in that 3QB stable?
0: Um, yeah, so I am interested in Teddy. Uh, you know, I- It sounds like we're totally on the same page. I don't know if he's anything uh, more than an average quarterback and maybe even average is a stretch. But, uh, you know, whereas I think it's kind of dangerous sometimes to elevate a quarterback based on the caliber of his weapons, like it's hard not to get excited, not only by the weapons, not only by Joe Brady calling the plays. But also by the fact that the Patriots' defense was just hot garbage juice last year, and you know how much how much better could it possibly get in one season? At Division if, Two
1: shootouts, my God! <laughs> exactly,
0: man. I mean, it, it just seems like there are going to be so many pass-heavy game scripts yeah. for the Panthers. It's just like everything is going in Teddy's favor. Like every possible circumstance. The only thing that you don't love with Teddy is the pure talent and <laughs> the fact that he basically doesn't run that much. So. But yeah, as far as uh, how he's set up, like it's hard not to like him and and he's still very affordable in drafts. And really, I can sell myself on a lot of these like low end QB twos like Joe Burrow. I mean, yeah, I generally don't like investing in rookie quarterbacks, but here's another guy who walks into a really good situation with a lot of talent. Um, You know, why can't he continue to ride high? Like, obviously, there are going to be some bumps as he goes up to the next level but he's also a guy who runs a little bit like, you know, he had 12 rushing touchdowns in his two seasons at LSU. And, and you know, what, 600? I forget how many rushing yards he had last year, but it was maybe mm-hmm. five or six hundred. Um, so like he can give you a little extra value there. Uh, I kind of like Minshew. You know, I'm not totally sold, but maybe kind of in the same situation I am with Bridgewater, where he's got some intriguing weapons. He's probably going to be in a lot of pass-heavy game scripts. And, uh, you know, you could even throw in a guy like Kirk Cousins, who gets dumped on just because he's not good in big games. But, (laughs) um, you know, what if if the assumptions about Minnesota being run-heavy aren't? really true you know like they've lost a lot on the defensive end of the ball and their their cornerbacks in particular were just completely gutted in the offseason and they're probably going to be playing two rookies you know Dansler and Gladney right away mm. at cornerback so they could be in some more shootouts and be forced to throw a little bit more and you know Cousins might not win good or uh, win big games but he is still a pretty efficient and uh you know effective quarterback at least between the 20s so um, he's not a, a guy would mind taking in the 14th round of a basketball
1: absolutely I love again I love all those names it's just it seems to be such a clear cut like a few running backs early load up on these exciting wide receivers and, and capitalize on the depth in the middle you know five through ten and throw in a tight end or two while you're there if you get a Carson Wentz great but I mean, rounds 12 through 15, you could get your top three quarterbacks and there's a good case one or two or even three of them will have at least 20 points that week. So in best ball, especially, even if I I don't have to figure out which one it is and, and which one to put in from that carousel all the much better, all the more reason to wait and kind of pick up these exciting prospects that any one of them could light up any given week. So so I, I totally agree on all those. You've hinted at Raheem Mostert, who I can't say I totally agree with. I'm actually a big Mostert fan, but I do want to get to your kind of avoid list. Is there any other guys in addition to uh, Mostert that you kind of just never leave a draft with or are on your kind of do not draft list, or particularly for best ball?
0: Well, if you didn't agree with Mostert-Wolf, I think you're really not going to agree with this one, either (laughs) looking at your rankings. Uh, Keenan Allen is kind of Mm -hmm. a guy I'm shying away away from this year. Like, I'd rather have one of those exciting second-year wide receivers where the the ceiling might not have been reached yet, guys like Metcalf Mm -hmm. and McLaurin. I think we have hit the ceiling with Allen already, and I'm really worried about just that offense in general with either – tyrod taylor or uh justin herbert you know herbert's gonna have a a rocky indoctrination here uh tyrod you know i I know tyrod was a a useful fantasy player for a little while i mean i i just don't think he's a very good quarterback i mean he might have been uh effective for fantasy for a while but i just don't think he's a very good passer and i don't think he can float wide receiver one numbers for anyone Mm. uh you know alan's Allen's a terrific route runner He's got good hands. He's a good player. I mean, he's had some bad luck with injuries, but I, I don't know that I'd go so far as to say that he's injury prone. I just don't think it's a great situation for him this year. And he did have an alarming disappearance last year where he just flat out died for like a month and a half. Yeah. And that was with Philip Rivers there. And, you know, I'm not sure what happened there, but, uh, you know, we saw that disappearance and uh, I don't know, I I think there are going to be some other pretty empty weeks for him in this offense this year. So not touching him. We mentioned Mostert and and uh, kind of another guy. I, I just don't really like in that maybe fourth round area for running backs or so James Connor, like I'd much rather draft a, a good wide receiver than James Connor. Um, you know, he's a guy maybe we could talk about being injury prone. Um, you know, it's it. I don't think he can hold up as any sort of workhorse back. Plus they've been adding all these guys behind him. And I, I don't, you know, I'm not head over heels in love with Benny Snell or Anthony McFarland or Jalen Samuels, but they do have this potpourri of backs with like a multitude of skills. So it would almost seem like they're really pushing this thing towards a committee. And maybe they just realized that James Conner cannot be a 300 touch a season kind of back. So, um, You know, plus I I think maybe other people think there's more talent there than I do with Connor. So he's just a guy I never seem to get because someone always likes him more than I do in a draft.
1: Yeah, I find myself not leaving with Connor a whole ton just because the point you illustrated, the receivers in that range are just that much more intriguing to me. I do like the comments from Mike Tomlin about the the workhorse, I'm a featured runner kind of guy and I, I like a guy to establish himself and the team kind of centers around that and we've seen that. Throughout his history, whether it was obviously Le'Veon Bell, I mean the talent certainly dictates a workhorse role, but we saw it with D'Angelo Williams, even like Stephen Ridley getting seventeen, eighteen touches. So to me, it's more of a matter of with health than anything with Connor, and that's kind of why I avoid it. As I do think there's a unfortunately a little bit of injury proneness, but in terms of sheer opportunities, I mean his backs. I had a tweet about it not too long ago. It's something around the average, like 20-something opportunities when you combine targets and carries. And the the average finish when it's, you know, of his running backs, if you just took D'Angelo Williams' output and you took Le'Veon Bells in the seasons that you know one or the other missed time, and you just kind of do the output of just the team running back, the the workhorse starter, they they average like a RB3 or so finish in fantasy, and that includes Connor, who we saw finishes the RB5. So... There is upside there in the, with the round four price, but I, I'm with you. I'm not. I'm not ending up with him all too often. If he does stay healthy, he'll probably be a league changer, in my opinion. But that is a huge one to bet on. And and Keenan Allen, who you shouted like I. I don't know. I'm shocked actually. Got looking at my rankings that he's you know I'm as high one on him because again I think in his range I typically go running back. Uh, But I'm looking at mine. I might have to adjust it just a little bit. He's not a guy I'm like going out of my way to get. And by my rankings, it certainly looks like he is. Uh, So I don't have like a huge case for him. I just have always loved the as the things you highlighted. His route running is you know, his ability with Rivers has always been fantastic, but Tyrod is definitely a guy to to be wary of. He had a couple, you know, Sammy Watkins had a couple really nice stretches with Tyrod, but uh, you're right, like you know, that might be much more of an overbet on talent because I just have always liked Keenan Allen as a player without me kind of being a little blind to what what the usage look like in a run heavier offense this year. Might what might the, you know, surrounding talent downgrade is Tyrod going really to really tank that? Uh, so, so that's an interesting one to consider. I'll have to go back in and look at Keenan Allen, because I'm not sitting here banging the wall. I need Keenan Allen, but my rank sure, is um, sure. plus 11 ECR right now uh, in his wide receiver rank, and clearly uh, it looks that way. So I, I'm glad you pointed that one out for me. Um <laughs> At this point, you know, we've covered best ball. I had a couple other questions written down, but we've been going quite long. So I just want to pump that you, you've you been appearing on Fantasy Pros a couple times. You, you highlighted DK Metcalf and David Johnson as league winning uh, potential outside of the top 20 at their positions. So, the, you know, very interesting take on, on Fantasy Pros, just a cool article in general of expert consensus weighing in on outside of top 20 guys who could be league winners. So you had DK and and David Johnson in that. And you also have an awesome article on uh, the football girl about Tom Brady. And it's titled, Will Brady Fall from a Cliff in 2020? Uh, so, If you want to know uh, why Pat's so into those guys, check out those articles. Uh, And and if you think Brady, if you're worried about Brady falling off a cliff, check out that article as well on the football girl. It's a, it's a very in-depth, fantastic piece. Uh, But I I know we've been running and I'd love to have you. If you have the time, great. If not, totally fine. I, I get, I've, I've, You've been so generous by answering all these questions in so much depth. Uh, but we do love to have what we call the no-huddle offense, which is just like a, a quick gut reaction to about 20 questions. Do you have the time to run through that with me real quick, Pat?
0: I absolutely do, and I can I can give you the Metcalf, David Johnson, and Brady takes in less than a minute. Let's right. hear them. So better. <laughs> David Johnson was sort of a caveat. It's, he's not a guy I'm chasing, but they made you pick guys who are uh, ahead in ECR outside the top 20 David Johnson just has the role he's he's set for volume in a good offense triggered by um uh Deshaun Watson and as much early round draft capital uh as David Johnson has torpedoed the last three years I mean if he's got anything left in the tank he could certainly be a a top 10 or top 15 guy this year Mm -hmm. uh DK Metcalf at his current price if he has a repeat of his rookie season where he has 900 yards and 7 touchdowns he's not going to kill you. Right. But with his size and speed and some of the holy crap catches we saw him make late last season, like there's potential Randy Moss upside here. Ooh. Like I'm not saying he's going to be the next Randy Moss, but there is vast upside here and if he taps into that this year, I mean he could turn a big profit on a 4th or 5th round pick. And Tom Brady, it was sort of a mixed conclusion on him. On one hand, I think there are legitimate reasons for concern about a guy who's going to be going in his age 43 season at quarterback. I mean, literally the only other quarterback who has started games at age 43 in the post-merger era is Vinny Testaverde. And just a handful of guys who've played at that age, Vinny Testaverde, Doug Flutie, Steve DeBerg, um... Maybe Warren Moon. So it's a, a very short list and those guys were like not putting up good numbers in their appearances. And like we already saw some kind of dangerous yards per attempt slippage with Brady, like a, a the kind of drop off you start to say, uh oh. And yes, we can make the excuse that he didn't have a great collection of pass catchers last year and now all of a sudden he's got Evans, Godwin, all this talent around him. So, I like the talent, I like that he's paired with Bruce Arians, and I like that, you know, we're not talking about Vinny Testaverdi. we're talking about Tom Brady. Like, he's reached heights that, you know, Testaverdi and Flutie and these other guys didn't. So, kind of a mixed bag. I mean, I'm I'm not being super aggressive on a 43-year-old quarterback. Um, you know, there there is definitely the risk that he goes over that age cliff, and uh, there's no coming back, but... You know, still, of course, a great quarterback, paired with that kind of weaponry, it's attractive. I'm, I'm just sort of torn here. It's a kind of a balancing act, and I don't know which way we're going to go here.
1: Yeah, I mean, on uh, my two cents, I'm a Patriots homer. I'm up in the the Boston area, so I'm always going to be willing to bet on Brady, no matter what happens. Obviously, my my heart was ripped out when he left. But ultimately, I, I can swallow that and still go back to the fantasy well. I think all the positives you highlighted, the weapons, uh, Bruce Arians. I mean, we saw a late career. Carson Palmer lighted up for top six QBs. They've consistently ranked in the top one to two air yards per year under Arians, whatever offense he's been with, whether it was Pittsburgh, whether it was Arizona, whether it was the year in Indy with Andrew Luck. He always just airs it out, which, I, I, you know, is it at Brady's strength at this point? Who knows, I, he still throw a decent, according to PFF, he was in the top 10 of their deep ball metrics in, in many categories. So, if he can still get the rock to those guys, and I think Brady still has enough, I mean, it's going to be a beauty season. If, if Jameis Winston can do what he did, yeah, the, the guy's got a, a stronger arm and more willingness to let it just fly. So, I don't know if we'll get the, the quite the passing yardage leader, uh, but less interceptions. I think definitely 4,500 yards is certainly attainable within this offense with those weapons. So, if you cut down the interceptions and he still tosses 27 to gosh 35 TDs in in 4,500 yards it's gonna be well worth the value so I, I'm all in on Brady again I, obviously some homer bias there uh, David Johnson to touch on all of those guys real quick I just I was burned too badly last year and a couple years in a row I had him in 2016 <laughs> I've kept going back to the well and he's kept disappointing me so he's on my do not draft list just had a personal spite I get all the, the beautiful setup the case is there so of course this everyone listening should draft him because this is gonna be the one year he does rebound and, and go crazy it seems like that always happens when you finally jump off a train, they always go off and and just spite you one last time, so... Draft him if you if you want. If you believe in that type of luck stuff, I'm not taking him at all. But I love the DK Metcalf. I mean, the way he just took over a playoff game as a rookie literally was the best player on the field and it was unstoppable. You could not guard him in that game. And if we ever, for the love of God, get a Russell Wilson season where he's just unleashed, I think he might be the best. You know, Definitely top three, in my opinion, quarterback in the league. He just keeps getting shackled by these Schottenheimer, run-heavy schemes. But if they ever just wake up and unleash this guy, and you got Lockett and Metcalf, I mean, we could just have an aerial bonanza. I don't think we get it because of so much history, but if if we did, I mean, the ceiling would be the Randy Moss, as you suggest. It's not out of the, the question here, which is insane to even say about a player, but we saw those types of plays and catches uh, holy hell. I mean, it, it could be insane if they ever just unshackled him. So love all those takes. I, I didn't mean to rush it either. I'll, I'll stay no, no, with no, you all okay. day. I looked at the clock and was like, holy shit, it's already been, you know, over an hour. <laughs> I I thought we were talking for 25 minutes at this point because it's been a blast. Uh, so, you know, it, I don't know if you, you have any others you want to throw out there or you want to get to this, uh, the no huddle offense with me.
0: Yeah, I'm not always good at the two minute drill. So uh, I probably didn't, you know, work the uh no huddle offense as well as i could have but hey let's go through it maybe i only have 43 seconds No, i'll I'll rip through these fast uh (laughs) Do quicker answers. I've been rambling nope. a little bit, but I absolutely want to stay try as to long no as huddle. you have.
1: I'll, I'll talk football with you all day, my man. This has been uh, incredible just to be able to pick your brain and, and hear your takes. Uh, and, and again, this is Pat Fitzmorris. Uh, and want to just before we hit the, the no huddle offense, just plug your stuff one more time uh, to make sure our listeners know where they can find
0: you. Oh, sure. You can uh, find me on Twitter at underscore FF. Uh, look for the Fits on Fantasy podcast and check out my content, my rankings at thefootballgirl.com.
1: All righty. And so we're going to line it up here. You're the, you're only expected to give kind of the gut reaction here. Of course, if there's some you want to expand on, I'm not going <laughs> to ever cut sure. you off. Your insight's been invaluable so far today. Uh, so feel free to expand on any that move you. But ultimately, the uh, just give you know what gut reaction comes to mind. Uh, you ready to roll? Let's do it, my man. All righty. So after Christian McCaffrey, the number two player in fantasy should be?
0: Saquon Barkley.
1: The next Dalvin Cook or round two running back who's top five in 2021 will be?
0: Jonathan Taylor.
1: Ooh, love it. Favorite fantasy team name that you've either had or you've seen someone else have?
0: Oh, man. No good ones in my leagues, but uh, Mm. the the one that's pretty clever is Country Road Take Mahomes. I like Ah, that I like it. Love it. Uh,
1: The next Chris Godwin, or round four to five wide receiver who explodes into
0: the elite, will be? Terry McLaurin. All set Mm. up for him this year.
1: Awesome. You're not the first one to say that, too. He's been a very popular answer for that. Uh, 2020's Mark Andrews, or the breakout tight end, will be?
0: Some interesting candidates here. I'll go TJ Hawkinson. I think his uh, injuries kind of obscured his first season both the injuries to him and the injuries to matt stafford so um i I think there's breakout potential this year
1: most hated nfl player for fantasy specific reasons is
0: now just to be clear i don't hate on any of these guys but the guy (laughs) who has killed me the most over the last decade or so without question cam newton if i'm going against cam newton he goes off on me without fail every every time (laughs)
1: Love that one. If there was somehow another Lamar Jackson or Patrick Mahomes, it would be?
0: Kyler Murray.
1: Mm -hmm. Which early rounder, one or two, is going to bust the hardest?
0: Oh, we talked about this earlier. I don't think anyone's an obvious bust candidate, but I'm a little worried about Kenyon Drake.
1: Who gained the most fantasy value in the 2020 offseason?
0: Probably David Johnson. David Johnson.
1: Conversely, who lost the most?
0: Mm, How about a tie between Mark Ingram and Daryl Henderson? Two guys who were poised to be RB1s and are now looking like RB2s. Or at least, at at best, committee members.
1: I won't leave rounds five to six without...
0: Uh, Either McLaurin or DK Metcalf.
1: This is random, but do you play Settlers of Catan ever?
0: I do not. <laughs> I do not. We've been meaning to get into that with our kids, and we have not played it yet.
1: Highly recommended. I think it would be – I got it from my nephews, and we play all the time. He loves it. Uh, highly recommended. If you've been considering it, it's. Uh, I'm addicted to it, which is why I asked this question. Uh, the next <laughs> sophomore wide receiver after, or if you have him even before, A.J. Brown should be?
0: Oh, uh, yeah, so – Got to stay true to the earlier answers. DK Metcalf and Terry McLaurin.
1: Target Hogs or Workhorse Backs?
0: Got to go Workhorse Backs. They're an endangered species at this point.
1: Alvin Kamara, James Conner, Austin Eckler, all were top five running backs after round seven. In 2020, that will
0: be... Oh man, round seven or later, Darius Geis.
1: What is your ideal league settings?
0: Oh, so... As much as I love Superflex, I'm going to go with the league. I am the commissioner of 16 teams, single quarterback, uh, deep draft, 22 rounds. And we have, for touchdowns, we are a standard league. There's no PPR scoring, no half PPR. It's just standard. But we only have two points for a passing touchdown and four Mm. for a rushing or receiving touchdown. That is my favorite format. I think that is the perfect league.
1: Very interesting. I haven't heard that one before. I love it. After Michael Thomas and Devonte Adams, owners should draft blank at wide receiver.
0: Oh, after Devontae too. Uh who is my number three? I think it's is it still Julio? I think it's still Julio.
1: Uh blank was the most important coaching move for fantasy, and that's specifically for which players
0: value. We talked about it well. Uh, Matt Rule and Joe Brady elevating Teddy Bridgewater into viable starting quarterback territory for fantasy purposes.
1: Love it. Do running backs matter?
0: (laughs) Yes, they do.
1: (laughs) What is the funniest last-place punishment or side bet that you've either witnessed or unfortunately been a part of?
0: Yeah, so we don't really do the last-place punishments, Mm -hmm. but there are two guys in the league I run, that 16-team league I was just talking about, where their game every year... They uh, bet a bottle or a glass of expensive bourbon at the following year's draft. It's an in-person draft. And it's not only that glass of bourbon for the winner of the bet, but also for the commissioner. So I get to be part of this and uh, enjoy the loser's pain every year. So that is by by far my favorite punishment.
1: Definitely some vested stake in that. I love it. And last but not least, what is your boldest 2020 fantasy prediction? And just one more reminder of where our listeners can connect and find your work.
0: I'll say that Jonathan Taylor leads the NFL in rushing yards as a rookie. And you can find me at Fitz underscore uh, FF on Twitter and uh, my written content rankings at footballgirl.com. And please look for my podcast fits on fantasy uh it's on most podcast platforms
1: awesome pat thanks so much for your, your generosity and time again i truly was like we've only been talking for a half hour i looked and it was like an hour and ten so i hope i didn't interfere with anything in your day you've been incredible to have on as a guest uh and I, again recommend any of my listeners please make sure you check out his work and interact he's, he's fantastic uh so pat thanks so much for your, your time today i really really appreciate it
0: Thanks a lot for having me on. Wolf. Well, time does fly when you're having fun, and I've really enjoyed this conversation. So awesome. uh, I appreciate the invitation, and uh, hope you have a great summer away from teaching for a while.
1: I appreciate that very much, my man. You have a great summer as well. Take care. You too, buddy. We used to have it all, but now's our curtain call. So hope for the applause, oh, oh, oh. oh. And wave out to the crowd and take our final bow. Oh, it's our time to go, but at least we stole the show. 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 Straight ahead. Devil. Second down. Third down. Touchdown.
0: FASHION FOOTBALL RIGHT THERE FOLKS (laughs)